tax tax which is always exciting GST reform that's a great idea more efficient tax due diligence now Hello everyone and welcome. You're listening to Tax Wrap. This is episode 32. Uh, my name is Nathan and we're joined by Lisa and Letty. How are we? We're good, thank you. I think we're better than you, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm heading out of sickness at the moment, so I do apologise if I do have to cough or, or hack or wheeze through any of the human. points that we're making today. Oh, well, that's right. That's I think right. it's that time of the year, though. I think, I oh, think it's is, quite yeah. a few people in the organisation is uh, a bit under the weather with a cold at the moment. Yeah, well, it's been floating around. Uh, I think we're, we're heading out of the storm, as it were, so that's good. Now, uh, the Tax Practitioners Board, they've been pretty active lately uh, in this year and the last year and also heading into um, the next financial year. They've got a lot of things planned. But first, I thought we'd start with a little bit of trivia. Now, the, the amount of tax agents that are currently registered in Australia, is it Australia or just Victoria? Are we talking Australia? about Australia as a whole? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about those numbers. Sure. So currently there are just over 70,000 registered agents. Wow. Um, about 40,000 are tax agents. About 15,500 are registered BAS agents. Okay. And another 15,500 are tax financial advisors. Now, Victoria gets about 30% of the pie. New South Wales gets about 34%. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much two thirds right there. Yeah, yeah. In Victoria, New South Wales. So what what is why is it so um, divided so much between those two states and not sort of the rest of Australia at large? It's basically where all the population, the, the industry sense, and, yeah. and finance and everything like that happens. Um, I mean, I know a lot of our members are you know work in the regional centres and things like that that are still very important. Um, and what we're finding as well is that everyone now can work wherever they really like. So we might find those trends changing where people may want to be doing um, advice. For, for clients, you know, on the beaches of Sundays or something, Nathan, because, you know, with, with the internet now and, you know, everything in the cloud, you don't really have to be with your clients. I was talking to a member just the other day and um, on a helpline call and he says, oh, I'm moving from Western Australia to Queensland. And I said, oh, what's going to happen with your client? He said, oh, no, I just t- deal with them, you know, remotely anyway. So that's really what it is. Um, the interesting thing about the numbers with the, uh, the tax agents is also that... Um, some people could be sort of multiple registered, depending on whether they're individuals, companies, or partnerships. Mm-hmm. So you may find that you know a big four they're actually only using one tax agent registration, but there'll be you know 400, 500 people sitting under it. So it's always interesting um, to see how many heads that really means. And when we were talking at the tax practitioners board meeting, they're not sure, really sure how many heads that means. So you know, in terms of individual tax agents, because a lot of people, yeah, as I said, there's double ups, just like mobile phones. I think there's more mobile phones in um, mm-hmm. Australia than population, because everyone's holding a work one and private one. I and, guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I, don't, I don't know if my seven month or eight month old niece can talk on the mobile phone yet, but she'll she'll try soon. Yeah, she's probably quite heading into that into that age. I guess it's quite appropriate then that uh, the tax practitioners board's latest advertising campaign focuses on. Uh, tax agent registration in particular, well, it segments the three, the, the tax agent, the BAS agent, and the tax financial advisors. Um, and I guess it's, it's marketed more towards the people who would use those services saying, "Can are you sure that um, the person that you're enlisting for this help is registered by the tax practitioners board? And they've used this clever little uh, traffic light sort of um, image, uh, which is, it's quite appropriate. Um, and it also talks about the risks of using unregistered tax agents. So can we talk a little bit about the risks of using uh, unregistered tax agents? Because that's not something we've broached a lot in the past. I mean, what are the, the common issues that you can face with using someone that 
appears to be registered but may not be? Well, there's all issues about, um, there's a very much a code of conduct that, that tax, registered tax agents need to use, Nathan. Okay. So it's, it's, it basically keeps the profession honest, if I can call it that. Like any profession, there's always a code of ethics and, and conduct with that. And it basically means you've got some protection. Um, every tax agent needs um, professional indemnity insurance yep. and things like that. So it's uh, the, the end, our end user listeners, our, our clients or the cli- our members' clients, um, have to realise that what they're signing on their tax return is true and correct. So it's important that they tell their tax agent exactly you know, their, their positions on, on, on certain amounts of deductions and things like that. So if you're using a registered tax agent, you have got some protection on what you've told them is correct and they have to act in a responsible manner and things like that. Lady, do you want to add anything to that? I suppose it's really all about, yeah, uh, consumer protection, really. Yeah. Mm. So you wouldn't want to... Uh, you wouldn't want to go to your doctor who's not appropriately registered. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't want to go to your car mechanic who has had zero training and and you can't trust their work. No, that's yeah. fair enough. So if, if it, I mean, if we talk about um, tradesmen, for example, if an electrician or a, a plumber um, who's not fully qualified uh, does a job for somebody, they can't certify that job mm. by law, so that job is not protected, you know, yeah. it's not certified, that kind of thing. So does that mean that any, uh, if I go to a tax agent and I'm not sure if they're registered or not, or I ask somebody who is not a registered tax agent to do the work that would normally be done by a registered tax agent, does that mean that work is null and void then? Now, uh, unfortunately, it works a little different in the tax world okay. um, because under the law, the onus is always on the actual taxpayer. Okay. So whether you get your mum, your dad, the best tax agent in the country, your best mate, your car mechanic, your plumber to do your tax return, yeah. that's really, if there are mistakes, if there are problems with it, it comes back to you okay. as a taxpayer. Yep. Now there are there are rules within the um, the tax practitioner board's code of conduct that Lisa was talking about before, where, whereby if you do use someone who you think is registered and appropriately qualified, but they turn out it turned out that they were lying to you, you do have they do have what they call safe harbors, okay. and so y- you may be able to. Um, get out some penalties and things like that, but it would be a pain in the neck for you to actually do that. And on the flip side as well, for the person who's pretending to be a registered agent, uh, they're in for all sorts of trouble with the courts. Exactly. And the big thing, Nathan, is that um, the Tax Practitioners Board is seen as like policing the tax agent regime, but they can't do like a random breath test, you know, like they do. So they can only act if someone from the public um, comes and says, I think think this tax agent's dodgy, for example, yep. or I don't think they're bona fide. Um, and they say that most of the time they get complaints from other tax agents okay. saying, you know, I've got a client that's got, got told the wrong thing and it's from a tax agent that's unregistered. So then, in effect, it's another tax agent dobbing in a potential, you know, unregistered tax agent. Um, and then, in effect, they become a member of the public that's made that complaint. And then the, the Tax Practitioners Board then need to gather all the facts um, to, to basically hop, produce a case, basically, okay. letting, isn't it, to base, so it can then go to, to the various courts. Sure. So their, um, their, uh, their, their facts have to be absolutely um, so, watertight. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, watertight. Yes, yeah. and another comment you add to that, though, it, it doesn't mean, look, if you're a tax person um, professionally or even if you just happen to know a lot about tax, it doesn't mean that you can't help your friends and family do their taxes. 
what the, these rules actually just mean is that you can't represent yourself as a registered tax agent if you're not. Yep. Um, so you can still help people, mm-hmm. um, but you can't tell them that you're a registered agent if you're not. You can't lie to them, basically, mm-hmm. about your status, and you also can't charge them a fee. That's, that's my understanding. Yeah, anyway. exactly. So, but exactly it doesn't mean right. that you can't help your friends and family. Mm, okay. Just don't charge them, or if you do, it's, and, it's and in, don't lie it's to in them. beers or cupcakes yeah. or whatever it and is. You, yeah, you just can't tell them that you're a registered agent. Okay, yeah. so the shtick of this advertising campaign mm-hmm. seems to be in response to... Uh, an issue is it common that people misrepresent themselves as tax agents is that something that we're seeing a lot of that the tax practitioners board feels it needs to respond to or is it sort of a generally people uh, adopting best practices and doing the right thing look it's it's very much you can't it's very hard to quantify those sort of numbers Nathan Mm -hmm. but it seems to be if you find one person that's doing the wrong thing, you know, say like Paul Hogan avoiding tax mm. or something like that, you know, as soon as the media picks it up and it just gets a, a mind of its own and continues on. So it's very much seen that um, the Tax Practitioners Board wants to make sure they're trying to do the right thing and this is part of the advertising campaign. So the campaign is very much not use a registered tax agent or use a tax agent. It's like if you are using a tax agent, make sure you're registered. And they've spent a fair bit of their budget on um, doing this advertising campaign for the next two weeks, starting today, or I think it's starting tomorrow. Um, they're going to be there's going to be taglines at the end of traffic reports mm-hmm. um, on various radio stations, and also there's going to be an online digital campaign. So you should see somewhere that where it says either look for the tax practitioner board symbol, mm-hmm. which um, some people have downloaded uh, from the tax practitioner's website. Mm-hmm. Um, they're finding that a lot more BAS agents are downloading it than actual ta- income tax agents. Okay. Um, or there's going to be a search function because, as you know, it's all in the public domain. I'm a I'm a registered tax agent so if you if you google my name into this into the engine or should say search it um you'll you'll find my details in there so it's all in the public domain so that's what the main thing is if you're using someone make sure they've got the credentials okay now the tax practitioners boards had a recent success uh in the litigation sphere can we talk a little bit about that yeah so it's a it's mr collier who's done the wrong thing and um it's the biggest um amount of amount of um, penalties, if I can call it that, um, that they've ever done. Uh, a lot of times you might he- have heard the case of Sue, which I think it was only about 60 or 70k worth of penalties. It's not very much, where yeah. Collier basically owes the federal government in excess of $900,000, right? So um, the TPB actually outsourced their debt collection to the ATO, for those who don't know, mm-hmm. and they've basically written, so the chairman of the Tax Practitioners Board, Ian Taylor, has written to the commissioner, Michael Jordan, and said, you really need to collect this money. So it's basically put on high priority that they not only want to say that this is the biggest um, coup they've had in terms of um, getting uh, revenue in, but also we're going to collect it. Because a lot of people may not know that um, even with Project Do It and all the various amnesties that you hear about, um, there could be a, a amount of, you know, like a billion dollars that is owed, but how much is actually collected is really an issue. Okay, and why was that? Uh, why was the task given to the ATO to collect the money? Why could not the tax practitioners board do it they themselves? They don't have the facilities to okay. do that. So they're basically what what their charter is is to just do the the litigation and upholding the um, code of conduct of the profession, if I can call that. Okay. Um, so they're not part of the ATO, and it's really important to know that the TPB is not part of the ATO. Yep. But what they do is they then outsource the the uh, debt collection to a division of the ATO, and for those of you that know Joyce Carenza, who's been to many of our tax discussion groups, 
Um, she, it's her department that collects that money. Okay. Um, and it then goes into consolidated revenue. And that's just the way it works. So it's like money doesn't go back into the TPB coffers to help fund them. Yep. Um, and that's the way that it works. But hopefully if they have a few wins, they get a little bit more funding is sort of the general rule of thumb. Okay. Mm. Now, trust accounts are something that uh, I'm told people have continue to have difficulty with because uh, I guess there's a lot of misconceptions about exactly what a trust account is and people tend to confuse trust accounts with trusts. Uh, to be honest, I don't really know the difference, but you guys do, thankfully. So, well, Nathan, you're getting very, very good at your uh, tax knowledge. Uh, at I, times, we feel very proud of you in the office. I'm, I'm building knowledge. <laughs> He's as growing I go. up. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's very good. Um, look, it's just something that's, that, that came to a head when we were talking at the TPB meeting this week. Um, is that tax agents who are, want to open a trust account with one of the big four banks, which is basically who we all bank with? Um, have trouble opening them because when they say they want to open a trust account, they go give us the trust deed, and we go, well, that's not the kind of trust account we want to open okay. up. Yeah, um, it's very much along the line, same lines as what a real estate agent would or a lawyer would. So it's basically keeping money on trust for mm -hmm. the clients. So um, the TPB is going to further communicate with the banks to make sure they're all aware that when your tax agent comes in and says, I want to open a trust account, they know exactly what it's about and they're not going to be asking for a trust deed. So there's just a bit of confusion out there. So uh, look, I'd be looking forward to hearing any members who have those sort of issues and then we can bring them up directly um, with the with the, with the various mm -hmm. regulators and, and bodies, which, you know, this, this is one of the th reasons why we're here. Has the TPB addressed this issue before? Has this been yes. a long-standing issue? Okay. Yeah, so um, basically the TPB thought they addressed it, but there's still some issues out there that came out of... Um, one of our other member associations, the IPA. Some okay. of the IPA members are still having issues. Yeah. So if any of our members out there are as well, by all means, just drop a drop a helpline or an info in there and we'll definitely address it and let you know when it's fixed. Fantastic. Now, Lisa, in closing, uh, the Tax Practitioners Board's got a series of webinars coming up to sort of elucidate the code of conduct and and explain a few things surrounding that. So what, what are the, the most handy takeaway things from these upcoming webinars? What should we expect from them? Well, they've, they've planned six for, for, for the coming 12 months, and I think it's just refreshing that um, even you know regulators are using technology. Um, they'll be using the ATO's um, webinar platform nice. to basically help them through um, that. And it's very much, it's, it's going to be free, and they're going to just try and do them on a regular basis to confirm that everyone's aware of what the responsibilities under the code are. And it's probably even more important now, and we've talked a lot about it in these podcasts as well, Nathan. You know, we've got the cloud technology, we've got disruptive technologies and things like that. How does that impact on the code of conduct? How does that impact on privacy and things like that? Sure. Fantastic. Well, that pretty much wraps things up for episode 32, unless there's anything else you guys like to add. No, Nothing I think, at all. I think we better go back and keep working on the uh, the new summary, Letty. Sure, what do you think? Absolutely. <laughs> so we're hoping that that will be out. No, we're not hoping. We it will definitely be out by the end of July, and we're just putting the final touches sure. to it with the new rates and things like that. Now that Parliament's finally finished for the for their winter session, and, and I, I can say it's a it's an exciting thing to sort of witness um, and be a part of in, in a very small way. But the the tax summary is definitely an exciting thing. So yeah, we're looking forward to July when it's finally out. And thanks Very for joining much. us. Joining, Thank you. Uh, join us next week on episode 33. <laughs> Excellent. See ya. Bye.